and amen. Church, help me preach the message. Turn to two people and tell them it's time to flip the script. It's time. Two people. Three if you feel crazy. It's time to flip the script. You know, I was thinking, and this isn't even part of the message, but I got to share it. As Rachel led into the Lord's Prayer, someone asked me last week, it was a first-time guest, and they're like, it seems crazy that, or it seemed weird they said that you don't seem like a traditional church, but yet you, you had the Lord's Prayer. And I got to cast vision with her, and the reason why we, 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 and you're right, a lot of what we do at Meadows isn't really traditional or methodic. I grew up in a Catholic church where it was very much like that, um, and this is different. But, the, but, but I can tell you the reason that we do the Lord's Prayer is because it's really because when I was a campus pastor in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, a woman, and it was a church much like Meadows Church, the church I got saved at 14 years ago, and after we did it, we, and we did the Lord's Prayer, a woman came up to me after the service, first time guest, and she was very, very tense coming to church, it had been a long time, and she said, she said, I was so anxious, and I was so worried, and I felt so out of place because she grew up, I don't know if it was Lutheran or Catholic, but very, a lot of people in the Midwest grew up in one of those two denominations, and she came up to me, and she said, thank you for doing the Lord's Prayer. And she said, as soon as you said the Lord's Prayer, it, it brought me back to a place where I felt like I, I, I felt comfortable. I felt like I knew what was going on. And because that's what she grew up doing. And, and number one, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, pray this way. So we think that's pretty powerful that Jesus said that. That's one reason we do it. But another reason is that for some people that are new, we're always thinking about the new person. Always thinking about the person that doesn't know Christ or maybe they've walked away from church and they're coming back. And, she's, and we just want to, whatever it takes, for the spirit, the spirit to put you in a position where, where you can be at ease and let him move in your life. So I don't know if that made sense to her yet last week, but that's, that's one of the reasons we do what we do. But um, let me recap with you what's been happening at Meadows. The series flipped the script. It started a few weeks ago. And uh, we started with a message. How many of you remember the, the message that was, it was called from judgment to grace? Remember that? Two of you? Great. I'm so glad. So, I'm kidding. So, I'm sure more of you remember it. Here, do you remember how you judged me? Maybe that'll be easier. Remember how you judged my attire? Remember that? Some of them are still denying it. Put it up. Remember how you judged what I... Remember that? You remember judging that sweater of mine? My cape? Whatever that... Well, it's not that funny. But anyway, so, yeah. We, we learned in week one that we're judgmental. We can be, right? So, okay, take that down and never show it again. So, um, week two, we talked about moving from anger to love. Now flip the script, let me just interject. Jesus, when he came on the scene, he flipped the script. He did. The world will tell you to live one way. The culture will tell you to live a certain way. Society will tell you to live a certain way. And Jesus says, I will tell you to live this way. And he turns us upside down. That's what flip the script is. That's why we can move from judgment to, to grace, from anger to love. Last week, we talked about moving from a posture of holding and taking to letting go and giving. And, and we, we, we learned about uh, returning a tithe and all this kind of stuff. It's so funny. A guy came up to me after the service. He's like, Pastor, great message. He said, but I've always tithed. I totally get it. He said, when I made 50 bucks a week, I would return five bucks back to God. And I said, that's awesome. 10%. That's good. And he said, but then I started making 500, 500 bucks a week. And I, then I returned 50 back to God. I said, that's, yep, that's a tithe. That's exactly what you're doing. And he said, I need you to pray for me. He said, now I'm making $5,000 a week. And it's, and it's not easy returning 500 bucks back to God. He said, I'm struggling with it. I said, absolutely, sir. I understand what you're saying. Let me pray for you. I said, laid hands on him. I said, God, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I would ask that you bring this gentleman's pay back down to $500 a week. <laughs> I'm kidding. I made that up. But that'd be funny. So anyway, be careful when you ask me to pray for you. You never know what you're going to get. So um, 
This week, we're looking at a topic. By the way, if you're new, you picked an awesome weekend to come to church. You'll agree with me, I promise. Um, we picked a topic that relates to everybody. The, the first ones, maybe they relate to some or others. This one is everybody. This would be the number one thing that we're talking about today that would hold you back from your purpose. This is the number one thing that would hold you back from all that God has for you. This is the number one obstacle in your life that, that prevents you from going from here to there. Okay, do you know what it is? Repeat after me, I'll tell you. Repeat, repeat after me. Say, me. It's you. And it's me. It's us. It's self. It, it is the obstacle of self in our lives. The root of all sin is what? It's selfishness. It, it's, the way, it's the way that we're wired when we're born into the world we're born in. And, and, and if you don't believe me, you, and we don't have to teach our kids, anybody with kids, you know this. Kids are selfish. Toddlers, you didn't teach them. You didn't bring them into selfish 101 preschool and teach Junior how to be selfish. No, no, no. They got to figure it out. And if you don't believe me, walk up to a two-year-old who's playing with a, his favorite toy. What's a favorite toy now? Anybody know? No? Okay, fine. You don't know. Elmo. Let's say Elmo. He's playing with Elmo. And walk up to him and try to take Elmo. Or walk up to him and say, hey, I want, I want your Elmo. You know what he's going to say? Well, you're going to hear no emphatically. And then he might take Elmo and tickle you up alongside the head with it. Right? You ain't taking Elmo. You ain't taking Tickle Me Elmo from, from him. So it, it's not going to happen. You want to know how self-centered we are? You want to know? I'll tell you. Who here has heard of Google Earth? You ever heard of Google Earth? Yeah, most of you. Like, you can, we have the capability of Googling, like, anywhere on the planet and drilling down and looking right at it through, through satellite technology. We can look anywhere. Do you know the number one thing that people type into Google, Google Earth? Their own address. I mean, are you serious? You can look anywhere in the world. Look, honey, it's our car. You know, it's like we don't. That's how narcissistic we are. We're, we are selfish. But today, God is going to take us somewhere. He wants to take you and I on a journey from selfish to generous. From selfish to generous. This is a tale of two hearts. I want to tell you a story in the Word of God. One of his closest disciples, one of his inner three named John, uh, wrote on Jesus' life. We call it one of the Gospels. Gospel just means good news. That's what it means. And the story of Jesus, it's incredibly good news. I'm preaching out of John 12. Let me set it up. Jesus, it's at the very tail end of his ministry. Like, he, it, this is the week where he goes to the cross. So that's, where, that's how close he is to accomplishing his mission on earth. It says in, in John 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, a man he had raised from the dead. I like how John's so casual. Oh, yeah, and by the way, he's hanging out with Lazarus. Oh, a dude that he just raised up. The guy wasn't breathing, and now he is. Just whatever. It's just what Jesus does. So they're at the house, and a dinner's prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served it. Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, was among them who ate. Then Mary, Martha's and Lazarus' sister, took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. And she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. I mean, just imagine the intimacy of that scene. The house, it's so powerful, this fragrance. It filled the entire room. Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, the disciple who would soon betray Jesus, is quoted by John saying, that perfume is worth a year's wages. And it was. Judas wasn't lying. Imagine taking what you make for a year 
And whatever that is, you offer it to Jesus in a moment. That's what she did. Judas is like, it should have been sold. And the money given to the poor. And John calls out Judas. John says it. Not that he cared for the poor. You see, Judas was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole for himself. Jesus speaks into all of it. Because he knows what Judas is saying. He knows what others are saying. And Jesus says, leave Mary alone. Leave her alone. Stop. She did this in preparation for my burial. See, you're always going to have poor among you. You always will. But you will not always have me. These eight verses, there is so much packed in there. But I I don't know about you, but I I had questions. Um, And I'm going to get to them in just a second. But, But the reason the message is called The Tale of Two Hearts is because you have the heart of Mary and you have the heart of Judas. Now, Judas, like I said, he's one of the 12 disciples, but Judas ain't the one that you, let's put it this way. If you're doing a school play and you're, you have to be one of the 12, you're not picking Judas. Nobody's picking Judas. No one wants to be Judas. You, you'll, pick, you'll pick John because, oh, he's the one who Jesus really loved. Or you would pick um, Matthew because he was so detailed and, and smart and good with numbers. Um, but no one's, and you know who else no one's picking, by the way, just thinking about this? No one's picking Thaddeus, okay? Poor Thaddeus. We don't even know much about him. I thought about it this week. The one thing I know about Thaddeus is he got, he got, he got made fun of as a kid, Jake. It was, kids can be mean, can't they? I mean, sometimes they can be. You know they called Thaddeus. I know they called him Thaddeus. I just believe it. It's not right, but that's what we know about Thaddeus. No one's picking Thaddeus. No one's picking Judas. Um, Peter, I'd probably pick Peter. I don't know how many can relate to him. Lose your temper once in a while, maybe. No, nobody. Okay, being honest in church. Um, so uh, Peter also spoke out of turn. He say things that he shouldn't say. My mom used to tell me, Monty, some things are better left unsaid. And I'm like, Mom, I get it, but normally I don't realize that until after I say them. There's, that's the problem. So Peter, John, Matthew, Thaddeus, we're, we might pick them over Judas, I bet. But here's what I contend about Judas. We can relate to him more than we think. Like, like I think there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. I know there is in me. So why, question number one in the story, why did it bother Judas so much? Why did Mary's act of worship bother him so much? It wasn't his money. It wasn't his perfume. But, you know, I I wrote it down. John called him out, like I said. Judas pretended to be thinking of others. Oh, the poor people. Selfishness always looks after self by pointing to someone else. That's what it does. He's pointing to Mary. How could she do that? How could you could all the poor people? It's like me driving my 2011 Honda Accord with 140,000 miles undercarriage dragging on the ground, you know, and looking at somebody driving their brand new Escalade. I'm like, how could they? How dare you drive a nice vehicle like that? You could have, that extra money you bought, you paid for that vehicle, you could have sponsored children like mine, right? You know what I'm saying? How, how could that, pa- is that pastor wearing Yeezys? Seriously? He's wearing Yeezy shoes? I bet he's probably embezzling from the church. That's what, you know, we, we have all these assumptions. And by the way, these shoes are Yeezys. Now, if you don't know what Yeezys are, it doesn't matter. But they're expensive shoes. I didn't pay for these. Like, if you don't know me, I mean, if you know me, you know I wouldn't pay two, 300 bucks for a pair of shoes. I just wouldn't do it, right? These, these, I got these as a gift, and I always say if it's free, it's for, see, you're getting it. If it's free, it's for me. That's what I always say. Here's what's funny about these shoes. I wore them around a friend of mine when I first got them, and you know what he said to me? True story. He goes, are you now wearing orthopedic shoes? I'm like, what? I said, no. I said, you don't understand fashion. I, you know, he didn't get it. So 
It's funny. So, but we always will point the, we'll drive by houses and say, oh my gosh, them, can you believe this? But really, Judas, he's only thinking about himself. And by the way, let, let's go back to nice things. God's okay with you having nice things. He's okay with it. As long as they don't have you. Okay, as long as he still has your heart. Okay, that's, that's what he wants. He wants to have your heart. So question number one, why did Judas care so much? It wasn't his. Question number two I wrote down that I, I wasn't getting. Don't you think it's a little strange that, that, that Judas was in charge of the money? Like of all the disciples? Why are we putting Judas in charge of the money box? That's literally what it was. It's like a money box they would carry with them. Actually, I'll be more specific. What it was was an offering box. That's what he was in charge of. Offerings that people would literally give to fund the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. Like, uh, and then Jesus would use the offerings to bless other people as he was doing ministry. And Judas, you're stealing from the money. You're stealing from Jesus. And that, that appalls us even to think about. But then I only have to go back to last week's message and, and, and point the finger at myself where, Jesus, or, or God says, you're robbing me of my tithes and offerings when we don't return that to him. And I'm like, okay, there's a little Judas in me. See, I think there's some Judas in all of us, if we're honest. But God is doing a new work today. Question number three. This is the final question I'm going to pose to you about this story, this eight verses that blows me away. Okay, who is the moron who, who, who put Jesus, or who put Judas, sorry, Jesus, who put Judas in charge of the finances? Like, who did that? Like, wh who picked him? Okay, I don't get it. But, like, that is like, that is like starting a bakery, your own bakery, and you hire Cookie Monster to run it. Okay, it's not going to go well. It just isn't going to go well. So they put Judas. Did Jesus know that Judas was a thief? Because, by the way, I'll, I'll answer the question for you. Jesus put Judas in charge of the money. Jesus hand-selected Judas along with the others. Jesus loved Judas as much as John, Peter, and, and, and James, and Thaddeus. So Jesus put Judas in charge of the money. You think about that for a second. And you might be thinking, oh, yeah, I get it. It makes sense because that's just God's will. God's will is like Judas is in charge of the money. Jesus will select him. He already knows his heart is like selfish and he's going he's gonna to betray Jesus and turn him over and then Jesus goes to the cross. It's all part of God's plan. I'll tell you something. Failure for Judas, failure for you, that's never part of God's plan. He sets nobody up for like demise. You think he set Judas up? Oh, Judas, your, your lot in life is you're going to betray the son of God. You're going to end up killing yourself, which he did selfishness never ends well. And, and, and that's, what, that's God's plans for you? That's never God's plan. Judas had a choice like anybody else. Judas had a choice like anybody else. But here's, here's what blew me away, you guys. Jesus, this is, this is my thought. I don't think Jesus picked Judas to be in charge of the money so he would be the opposition. I think, I think Jesus picked Judas to be in charge of the money to give him an opportunity. That's what I believe. Jesus knew that Judas had, was a thief at heart. Jesus knew that Judas was really bent towards self. Jesus knew that. So Jesus gives him an opportunity. Jesus wants to help him. Just like he wants to help us. Jesus knows our heart, and he knew Judas's heart. I wrote it down. He knows our greatest weakness, your greatest weakness, my greatest weakness, is what holds us back from God's greatest blessing. This is a fact. Your greatest weakness. What was Judas's? Thievery. Self motivated by money. 
And Jesus says, I love you so much. I'm going to give you this opportunity. And it could go one of two ways. Unfortunately, it didn't go great for Judas. But I wrote, Jesus gives the thief responsibility for the money. And in doing so, gives them the opportunity to overcome selfishness and greed. That's what he was doing for Judas. I've never seen it like this before. And I wrote down, unfortunately, Judas' selfishness wins out. And it made me think about a guy that wrote about Jesus as well, a guy named Luke, a doctor. He wrote, he wrote a, a biography on Jesus too, one of the Gospels. And here's what he said in Luke 16, 11, If you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, Judas or us, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Like, if I can't trust you with, with, with worldly stuff that comes and goes and eventually will be gone forever, how would I trust you with the kingdom of heaven? How, what are, my question is, what are true riches? What are true riches of heaven? You know what they are? What I believe they are? People. What's you? And it's me. It's what Jesus came for. I wrote down, true riches are people. It's the privilege of seeing those you love saved and made whole and growing in Jesus. True riches are the gifts given by the Holy Spirit to minister to the people. True riches are being able to help others who are in bondage, help others who are hurting and desperate, lost and lonely, to help them experience freedom in Christ. True people are seeing people go from death to life. At our church, we've seen 499 of them go from death to life, and God's just getting started. Anybody believe it's going to go over 500 today? Yeah, yeah, I do too. 500 people plus after today surrendering their life. That's true riches. Nothing is more important. True riches. So, so back to the story. Mary breaks into the room, goes to Jesus with a heart overflowing with gratitude and love. That love expresses itself in worship through this generous, through this generous gift. Repeat after me. Say this. Say, say generosity is worship. That's what it is. Generosity isn't money. Generosity isn't possessions. That, that's a, that can be a byproduct that you give. I mean, she gave a year's worth of wages. That's, that's pretty extravagant. It's worship. That's what she was doing. She worships God through this, this crazy offering. I wrote down, behind every generous heart is a grateful heart. Mary's heart was grateful. So the generosity flows from a grateful heart. It always, it always does and it always will. That's a fact. Judas viewed, you know how he viewed Mary's gift? I wrote, he viewed Mary's beautiful act of sacrificial worship as a waste. That's what he thought. Because, because at that point, Jesus didn't have Judas' heart anymore. He didn't have it. So he sees things through a different set, through a different lens. And what you're doing and what you're giving, that makes no sense to me. That's a waste. Why would you do that? Why would you give that? It made zero sense to Judas. Where you find generosity, you will find selfishness battling for control. Okay, I'm going to say it again. Where, when, anytime you find generosity happening, you're going to find selfishness battling for control. Judas wanted to keep everything he could in order to build his kingdom. Mary willing to give up everything she had to bless the king. Do you see the tale of two hearts? Do you see, do you see how, how different they are? Selfishness, selfishness, 
is stingy, right? Generosity, it's extravagant. Generosity isn't only worship, it is extravagant. It is, say extravagant, extravagant. I have, I have a question. What's extravagant to God? I mean, the, God, the, the, the creator of everything, I mean, he made it all including us. What's a, what could be extravagant to him? Like a million bucks? Is that extravagant? A hundred billion? God, would that be extravagant? Here's what, I, here's what I've determined. The only thing that you and I can offer God that was truly extravagant in his eyes is all of us. All of you. When you give God all of you, you are offering extravagance. That's, that's extravagant. Judas, it's so interesting. Judas, was he following Jesus at the end for what he could do for Jesus or what Jesus could do for him? See, when you follow Jesus, like you ask yourself this question right now and I'll do the same. Am I here today? Am I watching online today? Am I going through my week seeking things of God, seeking church, seeking whatever for what God can do for me or what I can do for him? See, the definition of Christianity, I'll never stop telling you this. The definition is it's not about me. As soon as I have the Holy Spirit living in me, it's God now wants to use me as a blessing to bless others. And as I bless others, God blesses me. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing relationship. Very intimate. Very, very uh, powerful. But, but Mary was so generous. Why was she so generous? Why, 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 why could she throw a year's worth of wages at Jesus and not think twice? Be because he had her heart. It's a heart thing. It is a heart thing. So back to the extravagance. What's extravagant, extravagant to God? All of us. When we give God all of us. There's extravagant gifts all over the word of God. Like, like David, remember King David in the Old Testament? David, you talk about extravagant. He never built the temple, his son did. But he, he gave gifts and, and riches towards the building of the temple. Do you know how much he gave? Like if you want to equate it into today's wages? 20 billion $20 billion is what he, he dedicated to the Lord for the building of the temple. Probably considered extravagant, I suppose. His son, who built the temple, Solomon, you, you know what he did? Let's say extravagant. Extravagant. Solomon, this is crazy. Tradition would say that when you're anointed king, you, you, you give a sacrifice to God in worship, right? You give a sacrifice. And, and tradition says you sacrifice a bull. You take a bull, you kill it, you sacrifice it to the Lord. Do you know what Solomon did when he was anointed king? He didn't sacrifice one bull. He sacrificed a thousand. That's extravagant. That is, that is crazy. Jake, do you know how many Rocky Mountain oysters that is? Huh? Who here likes Rocky Mountain oysters? There's got to be someone. Yeah. You guys are nuts, right? <laughs> okay, so um, back to the script. So... I actually like them too. I had them last year at some festival and I was surprised. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say it out loud. Kind of just confessing, it makes me feel better. Solomon, here, here's what's nuts. After Solomon, do I wanna get to that yet? Yeah, I will. Here's what God says to Solomon after he offers this extravagant gift. Not one, but a thousand. He could offer 10 and God would've been like, oh my God, that's 10 times what I, what I, what I expected. He could have offered a hundred. That would have been huge. He goes a thousand. Here's what God says to him. Ask anything and I'll give it to you. Now, now, now 
I'll say it again. Ask anything and I'll give it to you. Why would God say that? He says it after Solomon does this crazy offering to him, all night offering. It'd take a long time to sacrifice a thousand bulls. So I wrote it because Solomon demonstrated that his heart was generous, not selfish. And God says, what do you want? God, your heart, it's after me. I'll bless it because I know it's, I know it's not going to stop with you. It's so amazing. And then maybe one of the most extravagant gifts ever we see in the word of God. It isn't the 20 billion by David. It isn't the thousand bulls by Solomon. It's two pennies by a poor woman. Possibly the most extravagant gift in the word of God by any mortal person. She offers two pennies. And Jesus said she gave all she had. Two cents. What does that tell you? Here's what it should tell you. Generosity really has nothing to do with wealth. Nothing. We tie it to it all the time. God doesn't. I wrote this down. More money is not going to make you more generous. Do you know what more money will do? It will make you more of what you already are. That's what more money will do. It just makes you more of what you already are. It doesn't change how you give or don't give. You know what it does? It just magnifies it. That's what it will do. That's what generosity, oh, and by the way, generosity, it never gives to receive, but you want to hear some good news? God always rewards it. God always rewards it. He always does. You don't do it to receive it, but God, generosity is always rewarded by God. You saw how Solomon was rewarded? I'll give you anything. What do you want? You know what Solomon asked for? Anybody know? Remember? Wisdom. Solomon asked for Wisdom. God, God liked that answer so much. God says, Mike, I want to bless you more. I want to bless you more. Because, because generosity is rewarded by God. You don't do it to get rewarded. He knows the heart, right? That's the kicker. Here's what, here's what God says to Solomon after he's blessed with generosity. Oh my gosh. I don't know if it's on the screen, but I'm going to give it to you. 1 Kings 3.13. And, and I will also give you what you didn't ask for, Solomon. You, you want wisdom? Solomon, you'll be the wisest who ever walked the earth, besides my, my son, of course, right? But Solomon, I'll give you what you didn't ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you, Solomon, for the rest of your life. God rewards it. We don't do it for that, but God does it. That's his heart. His nature is generous. Do you understand that? Okay, okay, pastor, I don't, how was Mary rewarded? She dumped a year's worth of wages at the feet of Jesus. You know how she was rewarded? <laughs> number one, Jesus said her story would be told forever as we tell it today, and it's being told. She's famous in, 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 the, in the world of God, in the word of God. She's a famous woman. You know what else? You know how else she was rewarded? She was the only one who had the privilege of, of anointing Jesus' body. She's it. That's what Jesus said. She anointed my body. And if you read Matthew, Matthew's gospel, you know what you'll see? After Jesus was taken down from the cross, because normally when, once a person is dead, then the, the, the anointing happens, and then they're put into the tomb or the ground or wherever they put them for burial. Well, Jesus wasn't anointed when he was taken down from the cross. Do you know why? They didn't have time. Sabbath was coming so, too soon, and you couldn't work on the Sabbath. So they quickly took him down. They're like, oh, we'll anoint him later. Just shove him in here and put him in there and roll the stone. We're good. So the only anointing that Jesus ever received is from a woman named Mary on her knees, spilling it out and bathing him with her, with her perfume and with her hair. 
That's a, that's a reward. Remember Abraham? You, let's get away from the finances for a second. Go to something maybe a little more meaningful like your children. You know the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? Sacrifice your son. And Abraham's walking up the hill. It's kind of crazy. He gets about halfway up the hill and Isaac's like, hey, dad, I, I, we got the wood. You know, you got your torch. I just don't see, I don't see an animal. <laughs> well, Isaac, you know, uh, let's talk about your algebra test. You know, let's talk about that. You know, this is, let's get off topic here. So, so he takes Isaac up this hill and he's getting ready to kill him for the Lord. Because that's what the Lord asked. And the Lord knows Abraham's heart's going to do it and he stops him. And what's he do? He, he, he salvages Isaac. They sacrifice a ram. And then you, then you know what God says? You, you can read it yourself. I'm not, this is the homework that, for this week. But I'll, I'll give you a paraphrase. God blesses the heck out of Abraham. He rewards him with blessings that you and I, I mean, it, 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 it's unbelievable because he knows his heart. So you're gonna sacrifice your son. Talk about foreshadowing. 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, on a hill, not far from the hill where Abraham and Isaac were, the extravagant God that we have, what does he do? He offers his son. But he's not going to spare him like they spared Isaac. Jesus is going to die. And somebody, uh, we, we talk about this in our group a lot, and they're like, Judas had a choice, right? Judas could either choose to betray Jesus or not. Well, what if, Jesus, what if Judas doesn't do it? Trust me, God's plan's always sovereign. It'll happen. Judas's lot in life wasn't to, wasn't to go to hell. That's where he went, if you don't know. Judas's lot in life wasn't to kill himself. I told you that's what he did. God, every time I even say that. There might be people right now watching online. You might be listening to this message three years from now. You might be sitting in the room right now and you're thinking these same things. That you're not valuable. That you're not worthy. That you're not worth it. God, I want to tell you something. God created you I told you earlier, on purpose for a purpose. God is in love with you, just like he was in love with Judas and everybody else that he created. God's plan is never that you would do anything to harm yourself. And God, if you're in that, if you're in that, if you're in that phase of thinking or thought, you, we want to pray with you. We want to love you online. We want to get a hold of us. We'll do whatever we can. Because I know that for Judas, that wasn't God's plan. It's not like, you're the disciple, you're the one who screwed out of the, you're, you know, you're, no. You get free will, just like Jesus had free will in the garden. This is crazy. This will blow you away. It does me every time I think about it. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. That was God's plan for, for his son. But Jesus had free will. That's what made it so powerful. Do you know in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying, um, and then after he's done praying, he gets arrested? So he gets arrested and they're, they're having this altercation, and Jesus says, don't you know? I could ask my father to call down a thousand angels to rescue me, and he'd do it. Jesus could have been rescued like that. He could have. Well, then what? Well, God's plan is sovereign. I don't know then. That's God's deal. But Jesus, thank God, he didn't do that. Instead, he kept trudging towards a hill called Calvary. And, and, and the generous God that he is says, I will give everything I wrote down, God is the ultimate gift giver. He is generous and he wants to do a work in our hearts that makes us more like him. 
He wants to take us from selfish to generous because that's who he is. Our sin bends us this way. God's grace and mercy and power can take us the other way. And God models it. So he sends Christ to die for our selfishness. Wow. For what? No, he's going to do it. And he did it. And I, I always loved, see, I grew up in an atmosphere where I thought, if I, if I screw up, and I screwed up a lot, and I still do, that if I screw up, I, I, I go farther and farther down. And eventually, if I die like this, I go to hell. But if I'm good, if I, if, I, if I stop swearing, if I quit looking at pornography, if I'll just treat people with love rather than hate, if I quit getting doing these things I shouldn't do, I gotta quit stealing, I gotta quit... If I quit, then I'll go to heaven. The road to heaven isn't through goodness. The road to heaven is through grace. The grace of God, it's already been, that's already been done. You don't have to really pray for God's grace, it's there. What you need to pray for is your faith. That's what you need to pray for, and my faith. Because God's grace has already covered you. The question is, will, will you by faith receive it? How insane would it be not to? Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. People covered by the grace of God go to heaven. But, but, but here's, here's the enemy. Here's what he'll tell you. The default for you is, is you're good. You're generous. That's your default. Bad people are selfish. Bad people uh, do bad things. But the default is good. The default's heaven. Right? It's not. The default, your default is sin. Your default is selfish. And the default destination is hell. <laughs> I thought about it this week. Even, even rock stars understand it. Okay? Who, who here has heard of Led Zeppelin? You heard of Led Zeppelin? Yeah! They wrote a song called Stairway to Heaven. Okay? Who here? You heard of ACDC? Anybody? They wrote a song called Highway to Hell. They even get it. What does that tell you about the anticipated traffic numbers? There's a stairway to one. A highway to... I know. I'm just trying to illustrate it. I'm trying to... I don't know. Most people... The default is the highway. But Meadows Church, how many times do I want to tell you that you're not most people? That God brought you here, God had you log on today to show you his love, to show you his generosity. The love of the Father. Luke 12, 21, this is the last scripture you get today from me. God, I hope you get into it later today. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth. Judas, I wish you weren't so bent towards that. But not have a rich relationship with God. When we first got called to plant a church in the Omaha area, I was, I was in an office. I shared an office at Celebrate Church when I was a campus pastor with another campus pastor at the church. And I'm like, man, we got called to Omaha. We're talking about it. And he goes, ooh, the Oracle of Omaha lives there. And I'm like, who? And he's talking about Warren Buffett. I, I, I knew Warren Buffett. I didn't, I didn't know he's called that. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 he's there. You know, Buffett, I, every time I hear that scripture, can you just put it up one more time? I just want to see it one more time. A person is a fool. To, and I'm not, I'm not cracking on Warren Buffett, but I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Every time I hear this, I think about it. I just think about him for some reason. Probably because he's like the richest person in the world. 120 billion, I don't even know. So then I did some research on Buffett, and... I hope things have changed in the last 15 years for him, but as of 2008, like, like he, he's not a believer. 
That pains me to even say that out loud. He's 91 years old today. In fact, in 2008, you know, Berkshire Hathaway has an event here. I think it's yearly where all their employees get together and he's there and they talk about money and shareholders and all this great stuff. And uh, I, I read this, I read this story. A gentleman that was at the, the event here in Omaha, he said this. He said, one question that caught my attention in Omaha, at, at, this is 2008 at the event, and it held my attention for the rest of the day. It was a question asked by a man probably in, in his 30s. A young man at the event stepped up to the mic, and in the midst of 31,000 people in Omaha, Nebraska, he asked Mr. Buffett, the world's richest man, if he knew and had a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Without hesitation, Mr. Buffett responded, no. I am an agnostic. I don't know whether there is a God or not. Maybe when I die, I'll find out, but I don't know. I always pray Warren will click on sometime to Metalist Church, and I can tell you face to face, you will find out. And so will you. And the Lord loves you and loves you, Mr. Buffett. Gain the whole world and lose your soul. Gain the whole world and lose your soul. And then you know what Jesus says after that scripture? Here's what he says. Is anything more important than your soul? Anything? Well, the answer is no. The answer is no. So as I close, I want to give you an opportunity. I'm not going to make you stand or do anything like that, but I, I do need a response from you, definitely in your heart. That, 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 you're, that God is, I pray, doing something in your heart to take you from whatever selfishness that is in you to a level of generosity. It, it can't happen without his Holy Spirit in you. It can't. If it does, it'll be temporal, and you'll revert back automatically. 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 There is no, there is no constant generosity without Christ in you. And yet, here's what I felt compelled to write down on, on my notes before I went in here this morning. Because I prayed over you all week. And here's what, here's what went from my fingertips to the keyboard to this. I believe there are people here watching online or in the room. And I think that God is showing me this, I hope. Going, you're going through a difficult time. I don't, I don't know what it is. You're feeling stressed and you're feeling overwhelmed. You wonder if it's even worth it. Some of you are wondering that. And you're hurting and you're struggling. And I think God wants me to tell you this. He wants me to remind you what the scripture reminds us. Gain the whole world, lose your soul. God wants you to know this world is not your home. God wants you to know this, that when, when you breathe your last breath on earth, you're not leaving home. No, no, no. You're going home. That's why we believe that the best is yet to come, especially when you've surrendered your life to Jesus. That's what we're doing. What do you mean, surrender my life to Jesus? I mean, you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why well, have been going to church for 40 years? I don't care how long you've been going to church. That doesn't matter. I believe when Christ is in you, you'll be compelled to the church, no doubt about it. But going to church doesn't save you, and your parents' faith doesn't save you, and nothing else saves you besides your faith in Christ. Does he have all of you? Extravagant gift, all of me. What peace are you holding back from God? 
Today, he's asking you to surrender to him, to give it to him, to offer it as a gift to him, and he'll give you so much more. You know what pains me? All the people that know about Jesus in their head, and they'll never spend forever with him because they haven't sold out in their heart and surrendered. Praying some special prayer, that's, that, that's an indicator, but that doesn't save you. It's important, I think, yes, but it does. It's a heart relationship. And by the way, if you're questioning, am I saved or not? I don't, honestly, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, I don't think you'll question it. You might go through some seasons, but at the end of the day, you'll know. So I just pray that you'll surrender anything and everything to Jesus. You can do, you can indicate it on, on the cards, committing, recommitting. We celebrate that. Checking a box doesn't save you. It just tells me and us what God's doing in you. Online, typing I choose Jesus doesn't save you. But we like when you do it because it tells us that God's working in your heart and we can celebrate and pray for you. Nothing is more important. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. How am I saved, Pastor? By your faith. It's not up to God. It's not up to God. He's already done it. His son was dead and his son is risen. And because that's a fact, now that means it's on you and me that by our faith we are saved. <laughs> Generosity, it's funny. I wrote down, no one stumbles into being generous. We don't. The, the Mary didn't stumble into the room, trip, and, and accidentally break her perfume on Jesus' feet. It wasn't an accident. It was very intentional. I want to be more generous. Maybe you do too. I'm not just talking financially. Financial peace, I kid you not. I, I, we do it twice a year. I can't encourage it enough if you're struggling in an area like that. Meadows, we're always going to be a church that I hope do, does things differently. Not to be different because we're so... But it, no. It's because we just want to be obedient to do what God tells us to do. So we're going to do something that you probably have never seen before. The fact is almost everything in the Christian life seems crazy to the natural mind. As your pastor, my heart is that you will understand the love of the Father. So I have a confession to you. Last week, we talked about going from a posture of taking to giving. And I taught you about what God says about tithing and returning 10% back to Him. This week, we're talking about selfishness turning to generosity. Gosh, pastor, it almost sounds like you're, you're really trying to set us up to get something. I did set, I am setting you up. I'm setting you up for an offering right now. The offering isn't, this one's different. This offering isn't from the church, which is you, by the way, to God. This is an offering from the Lord to you. Because I will do whatever I can. I, I've known this day was going to come months from before today. Months before today, I knew this day was coming. It just happened that this is the day it's happening. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. And we're going to play a song. And what, we, what you're going to do is every household, I'm asking, this is really God asking, I, I prayed for this a long time, trust me. And, and by the way, what we're doing right here, this makes zero sense, just so you know, zero sense to anybody with a financial mind or anybody that's in Buffett, he wouldn't approve of what's happening right here. He wouldn't approve of it. 
but Buffett isn't who I follow. So every family, every household, I want, I, I, God wants, I believe, I can say this, God wants you to have an envelope. This is an offering not from me. My heart can be very stingy at times. That's why I took a lot of prayer. But this is an offering, a joyous offering from the Lord to you. And what the Lord wants to do is show you his generousness. It's just a little, it's, it's compared to what God is, it's nothing. But, it, but if this will show you, there are so many people, oh, the church wants this, the church, well, I want nothing from you besides your heart. Nothing. Nothing. Because I know if God will get your heart, you'll have everything. And that's what I want for you. So, so we're going to play a song. And, and, and I pray. And by the way, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not, I don't need, that's your pride. That's your problem. God's offering you a gift. And for you to say you're not taking it, what does that say to him? That's like when he offers you the son of God as salvation and you say, I don't want, are you kidding me? Your creator offers you a gift? Don't turn him down. That's insanity. Don't do that. That would hurt his heart if you did that. So I will pray. Actually, Jeff, you, you can come right here because I'm going to have people, the aisles just come all the way through and then down. Aisle front to back. Let's just do that. I'm not very organized. So all the way down and, th and then second aisle, third aisle. But Ted, you can come right here. And then and take an envelope per family. I'm going to pray for you. And I'll tell you this. Again, I know this makes zero sense. Don't care. It brings me great joy. Great joy. You know, I've been praying all week. God flood the church. You know, I've been praying all week. We run out of envelopes. So we have to get more. You know what I've been praying all week? fill this place where it's standing room only. That's been my prayer. And if you want to call your friends after this, get to the 11 o'clock service at Meadows Church. They're insane. I don't care. Do it. Get them here. Tell them. I don't care. May this bless you. And this is not from the church. This is from God. I'm telling you. It's from Him. Some of you will use this for financial peace. Some of you will use this to bless somebody else. Some of you will use this to trust God and tithe for the first time. Some of you will use this just for yourself and your family because you need it. It's okay. It's for you to decide. You pray to God. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I, I have to confess, I get a little bit emotional when I think about where I was and where I am. And that's just my story. I think of all the people here today and all the people watching online and how you want to transform our hearts and how you are so desperate to show us your love and your generosity and how you just, you want to lavish things on us and you want us to trust you and you want us to confide in you and you want us to, by faith, surrender to your son, Jesus. God, my first and foremost prayer as we close today is that people will surrender their life to you. Why would you gain the whole world? Invest in things of the world that will be gone in 50 years, 40 years, 30 years, you'll be dead. Today, we want to invest in eternity, God. We give you all of us, every area, and anybody holding anything back, they know what it is, God. The Holy Spirit will show them. Help them surrender it at the altar to you. Jesus, may you be glorified in all of this, and may people come to know you as their Lord and Savior today. And as we're given it, as we're given a gift from the Lord God, we praise you, the ultimate gift giver. And here's what I know. Here's what I, here's what I know is that you and the Son right now in heaven, you on the throne, Jesus on the right, 
is looking down at a church called Meadows. Little tiny minuscule church. But it's your bride, isn't it, Jesus? And there's a smile from ear to ear. God, on the face of the Son and the Father, looking down at a church doing their best to stumble through life and, and show the church what it means to serve a generous God. Will you change our hearts? Will you help us flip the script? Make us new. In Jesus' name I pray and we all say, amen. Hey, I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. But don't stop there. I invite you to like or subscribe to our social channels. That way you don't miss a single video, update, or message. But not only that, would you consider sharing this message with a friend, coworker, family member? I mean, so many people need hope and encouragement and you have the ability to bring it directly to them. Finally, one more thing. I wanna ask that you would consider giving financially to this ministry. I mean, God has done so much, but yet we believe he wants to do so much more, like so many more people he wants to reach, so much more hope he wants to give, so many more lives that he wants to save, and your investment can help make that happen. So again, thank you so much. I love you, and God loves you more. God bless you.